Welcome, my darlings, to another episode of Out to Lunch, where food and chat go hand in hand or fork in mouth. My guest today is a stand-up comedian, actor and presenter known for his gloriously grumpy deadpan delivery. As well as decades of touring, he created and has hosted Live at the Apollo, and after attempting to escape the house, even won the first ever Celebrity Big Brother in 2001. He wrote and starred in the comedy drama Lead Balloon, and is now the host of Radio 4's I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue. It is, of course, the sardonic, the droll, and the so very much admired Jack D. I would literally say, right, I'm going to take your order. And then if anyone really an uh, annoyed me, especially people, if they're on a, a date or something, I would ask the chef to, to lace his food with garlic. So, he, you know, the, the evening wouldn't work me. out. <laughs> Welcome to a busy street corner in London, Soho. We are outside a uh, Chinese restaurant called One's Tea Room. Um, which, uh, among the many things it has on its menu, is sugar skin Iberico pork char siu. I can say all those words because when I reviewed it, I fell in love with that particular dish and I've been desperate to get back here. And happily, Jack Deere has given me the perfect opportunity to do so. So we have a table downstairs. It's actually closed on the day we're recording, but they've opened for us. You may hear a bit of prep going on in the kitchen. I don't object to that. It means we get lunch. Jack. I'm very well. We have a little bit of fried chicken with Kung Po butter in the middle of yeah, the table. Yeah, how lovely. Before we get into food, yeah. there's a story that back in the day when you were floating and yet to discover your comedy chops, yeah. you turned up at the back door of the Ritz. Yes, yes, Which true. is not far from here. True story. What happened? Well, I was working in, um, in restaurants in, 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 in and around Covent Garden and this had sort of distracted me from my sort of 16-year-old mission to become an actor and da, 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 da. And thinking, well, this is, this, maybe this is what I'm meant to be doing instead. You know, I, I wasn't certainly convinced of it, but I did think if I'm going to do this, I need to learn how to cook. I worked in a small restaurant kitchen in, in Henrietta Street called, the place called Bates. And the, and the chef there had worked at the Savoy, and he said, no, you've got to work in a big kitchen, otherwise you can't, da-da-da-da. Yeah. So I thought, well, this is what I have to do. So I presented myself at the door of the Ritz without going through the, you know, the, the, the inconvenience of trying to organise uh, an interview uh, or anything. And I just I said, I've come, I've got an interview with the head chef, and, uh, and they, the guy said, oh, rang down to the kitchen. You, know, you probably know what the back door of the Ritz is like. Yep. I always call it the stage door when I'm telling this story, because this, which is rather telling. But anyway, so uh, he rang down and the guy said, well, the, the chef says he's not got any interviews. I said, oh, I've come such a long way. I did, and there's been a mistake. And blah, blah, blah. gets on the phone again and says, chef, chef will see you. You can make your way down. And I went down to the kitchen. I don't know if you've ever seen the kitchen of the Ritz, but it says it's kind of big. It's big. big. Yeah, it's big. And it's a very daunting space. And I walked down to this chef called Michael Quinn at the time. Very large. I mean, if you wanted a... a, 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 a was he fully tocked? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so if you, a big white hat on. White hat. If you wanted, if he was at a central casting and you wanted a chef, it would be him. Big, ruddy-faced, little beard. And the first thing he said to me was, uh, what's this about an effing interview? You haven't got an effing interview. And I said, um, I'm, I'm sorry, but I just want to work here. You know, I pleaded with him. And um, to his credit, he said, well, if you've had the balls to do that, I'll give you a job. And that's how I ended up working at the Ritz And how kitchen. long did you work in the Ritz kitchen? Six months. The big problem with me working in the, in the kitchen at the Ritz is that I didn't know how to cook. <laughs> And I mean, one of the grandest kitchens in London yes, to this day yeah, has yeah. to be. It's not helpful. 
if you mm-hmm. can't cook. All the other chefs worked this out very, very quickly. I didn't know what I was doing. So before long, I was I was thrown into sort of washing lettuce and um, and they do all sorts of tricks on you by getting you to you know clean crayfish without telling you you might want to wear rubber gloves yeah. and so you end up with hands like balloons for two days. This is Dennis who's serving us. Hello today. Dennis, Hello. how are you? Um, well, I'd love the, um, I really want to have a go at this um, Iberico char sui spiced sugar skin please and then um, there was a salad there I would love, smacked cucumber salad. I want to know what a cucumber looks like when it's been smacked. You will see. Um, and I'm going to throw some other dishes. They'll be served sort of family style on the table. In other words, you're sharing oh, with me, Jack. Nice. Something you can do. Can we also get the crispy duck leg and the cod cheeks with salt and pepper? Yes, sir. You've told me I've got to have the wok fried shung fung. Yes. And the seasonal veg. Oh, yeah, and the aged beef neck clay pot. You don't have to eat it all. You look interesting. Amazing. Are you yeah. drinking or are you. I think I'll have sparkling water for me. Yeah. yeah Thank you. Water. That'll do us. Perfect. Thank Perfect. you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Recently, you've retrained as a psychologist. You, you, you obviously put some real time into this, didn't yeah. you? I did. I, I trained the um, with the Royslip College of, of Higher Education. I did a. It was an online course that that lasted uh, four hours. And I, I can honestly say from the moment I, I signed up till late in the afternoon when I got my certificate of completion, that it was one of the, one of the best things I've done. It's, you know, very, because then I felt, well, now I can help people. I've, I've, found a, I've found a mission. And you put the time in as well. I did. And, you know, you, you know you, you, it pays off when you put the effort in. Obviously, restyling yourself as an agony uncle. Yeah. Uh, with your book, What's Your Problem? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you may be aware mm. that when it comes to agony aunts and agony uncles, you, Jack, you, I have you, a bit of skin you, in the you, game. You do indeed, yeah, yeah. Because my late mother, Claire, mm. was, well, I was going to say, an agony aunt, mm. possibly the. So I thought oh. it could be quite interesting, because mm. you've done loads of TV stuff where they ch- throw you questions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I could throw you real questions. Oh, yes, okay. That my mother received. And then you could tell me what your answer would be yeah. in, with your training. Yeah, okay, go on. One woman wrote to Claire in some distress um, because she had discovered that her husband was having an affair. And she had discovered this because she found female footprints on the inside of the car windscreen. (laughs) (laughs) These are real problems, Jack. Yeah, yeah, it would be. These are real real things. What advice would you give to this woman who is in some distress at the discovered Uh, infidelity? It's... it's, it's a very difficult thing, and maybe maybe she should. Uh, I mean, the tone of the advice I gave mm. would say suggest that she 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 arranges for male footprints to be on the windscreen of the of the car, or or to put put something like that in in there. What did your mum say? She needed to have an open conversation with her husband about the state of their marriage, and then gave her information for relate to the Marriage Guidance well, Council. Which I, I I would defer to that obviously as Marriage. being a, a more sensible approach. Um, <laughs> this next one, it, it was actually a call from a, a friend. It was a, a a guy in New York called Larry. It was a yeah. deep personal friend, mm. but he paid no attention to time zones, so he right. actually called at two Any o'clock in the, the morning. Oh, two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and he phoned up and said, Claire. One of my testicles is missing. God. Yeah. Uh, he obviously carried out a personal examination and discovered that one of his testicles was missing. How old was this guy? Well, he would have been in his 40s. So, uh, I mean, I'd want to know more, more information about have you just, just realised that there's only one there? And 
Or maybe as a joke, writing. So, what do you mean one of them's missing? What are you know? How many are you meant to have? How many are you meant? To yeah. Have? <laughs> Just what, confuse instead him. of three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The actual advice. Yeah. Well, the, was, uh, yeah, of course, was, was, is to go to a doctor immediately. Surely. No, 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 no. She said, Larry, go to sleep. It will be back there in the morning. <laughs> and it was. And it was. Yeah. That's amazing. God. What okay. a funny call to get. Yeah. So here's the third one. Yeah. A woman in her 80s wrote to Claire. Uh, she was lonely and somewhat sexually frustrated. Mm. And she confessed that she had trained a German shepherd, her German shepherd. Mm. And we're not referring to a man called Hans from the Tyrol. No. I understand, yeah. An the Alsatian. actual, the, an Alsatian the dog. dog. Yeah. Uh, to orally pleasure her. Oh, right, okay. And she was concerned as to whether this was proper and correct. I'm just wondering what I think your advice mm, would be, Jack. If that is her question, the answer is no. <laughs> Simple. No, you've gone with no. Yeah, it's, of course it's not. I mean, it's wrong. I mean, was this a scenario that was presented to you it during might... those long four hours at the Rice in Studio? I, I never got anything as incredible as that. My God, what did, I mean, that's, that's yeah. What did, what did she say? What did Claire say? <laughs> Claire said... That if the dog doesn't seem to mind and you attend to the hygiene issues, you're not harming anyone. Wow. Well, that's more open-minded than I am, for sure. <laughs> She's uh, a, a remarkable, a, a remarkable uh, counsel that she gave there. That's something else, my God. That was just a normal day. Did you grow up with all of these? Kind well, of we were always told that they were, um, none of these uh, problems were funny. They were all very serious and involved very serious people. Mm. But listen to but this one. <laughs> <laughs> was it really a lockdown project, as in you're kind of, you've got bugger all to do, you can't go on tour? Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. In fact, I'd been asked to do it previously, uh, and I said, I can't do it because I'm so busy, I'm touring, I just started this big tour. And then lockdown arrived, and um, so then I said, well, maybe I should write this book instead. I've now got the time, because I really didn't think I'd ever have the time. And they said, yeah, we'd love you to get on with it. Um, I mean, it just kept me busy, kept me amused. Um, and for me personally, it was a way of kind of soaking up all the shock of what was happening and uh, and um, me being able to just go and live in my own head for a bit every day and, and write and amuse myself uh, with it, if no one else. And, and to have a, and just to have uh, the structure of, of the deadline and, 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 and something to do like that. So um, it kind of got me through that period where I wasn't sort of twiddling my thumbs. We fielded stories from various people, but a lot happened that what, what a lot of people had thought was, oh, this is gonna be a funny book, therefore I ought to send in a funny problem. You, and that wasn't really what I wanted. I actually wanted something real. You can't actually improve on real life. No, you can't. You see, if, if your lady had rung in about, a, a call, you know, coming with the, the, the German Shepherd, I think the reader would have sniffed a rat, you know. Absolutely real, know. absolutely real. Yeah. Like the, the one, <laughs> There was a woman who wrote complaining about not being able to reach orgasm. And it ended with the plaintive line, I even bought a vibrator, but the batteries ran out. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously battery life is much longer now. <laughs> so that might have had a happier ending. <laughs> oh, look, there's some food. Hello, guys. This looks wonderful. This mashed cucumber salad. Beautiful. Tassoui. That looks rather pretty. Um, Very nice. Chanfang prawns. Enjoy, guys. Thank, Thank you. you.
So the char siu is, for anybody who doesn't know, is roast Chinese pork. It's lacquered and it tends to be gorgeous. And what they do here is rather beautiful. And then we've got yeah, some flat noodles with the prawns and then we've got some smacked cucumber. The cucumber having been slightly beaten. Yes. As indeed are we all. So, so what's the point of beating a cucumber? Well, it, uh, I think the idea is that you, if you crush them up a bit, then you marinate them in the dressing, and the dressing gets into It'll all get the crevices. Into it a bit more, right? Okay. You have yeah. more than a passing interest, don't you? You shut. You, you oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm. I like my food. This is, this is lovely. I mean, that is great. Yeah, it's got a kind of crunchy skin to it. Famously, your mum kind of didn't want you to pursue. I think that she she just literally said to me when I was sixteen. I said, "One, well, I think I want to do an act, be an actor." And she it wasn't it wasn't even a dismissive thing, but she said, well, "In that case, you have to get a trade. Very important. You get a trade so that you can make a living uh, for yourself because you don't make any money as an actor. You just can't." Well, this is jumping ahead a bit, but when mm. you finally broke through, and I think what by ninety one you you've got your own show on Channel yeah, Four. Yeah. Did your mum say, "Well, I was wrong." In a way, she hadn't been wrong. Well, because the eight years you'd floated around myriad jobs selling yeah, artificial limbs. Because those are the, yeah, those are the years that really um, kind of formed me and, 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 and formed a lot of what I think now. I had screwed up and, and I was living with the consequences. So is it fair to say that the low horizons were what, I don't know whether we can call it a persona, the grumpy bastard who's mm. miserable about life? that you presented when you first broke through. Yeah, to some extent. And I, I mean, I, I was always, I always had, I always had that kind of, uh, people always looked at me and, and, and had that feeling about me. In fact, people I worked with in the restaurants would always say to me, well, Jack, you, I think you need to smile with the, with the guests. And I'd say, oh, I always say, something. I'm smiling inside. I can't help it. My face doesn't know what's going on. I work quite hard with waiters who aren't smiling because I, I know where they're coming from and I know what it's like. But I got to the point when I, the place I worked at in, in, in Hollywood Road in Fulham, which was a very big deal in the 80s. It was kind of full of yuppies coming in. And, Do you know what it was called? Uh, Jake's. I mean, it was a wonderful place to work, really. It was a very... And they had... Um, uh, big stag parties in, at the weekends in the basement with strippers and God knows what going on. It was really kind of, it felt totally debauched. But in those places, I learned to deal with crowds of people, especially like hooligan type people coming in and being noisy. Uh, to the extent that people will come in and say, can we have the grumpy waiter for our stag do? Because he was hilarious last time. <laughs> he was so rude to everyone. Any particular incidents you can recall? I would get a, bit to the table of 20 and just uh, and literally say, right, everyone shut up. I'm going to take your order. And if you get it wrong, I'm not responsible for this. I'm going to take it. And then if anyone really an uh, annoyed me, especially if people, are, if they're on a, a date or something, and if the guy was rude to me, I would ask the chef to, to lace his food with garlic so he, you know the, the evening wouldn't work out <laughs> you know so now I'm, this I'm not a, I'm not a, a proud of but I did put overly hot water in a finger bowl for someone who'd also sort of snap their fingers at me Fair thinks, enough yeah I mean he scorched his fingers and he wasn't able to snap them anymore <laughs> how do you feel uh, now if you come across a waiter who takes your order without a notebook you know, I just think, what, what are we trying to, what are we trying to prove here? I don't care how good your memory is. All I want is my food to arrive, and I don't think I've ever had it done where they haven't got it slightly wrong, or come it's back exactly and say, exactly what happens to me. They'll, they'll say, uh, I'll just, just to go around the table again to remind you. Yeah, if you'd written it down, you wouldn't even need to do that. We're mm. literally around the corner from where the comedy store was. Mm. Um, in fact, it still is, isn't it? It's, well, it's it started, location. It started at Raymond's Review Bar, in actual fact. Oh, right. That, that was the first one. Then it became 
over underneath LBC in in in, L, in Leicester Square. Right. It's now moved to the other side of Leicester Square. And so I went to the one, the first one in Leicester Square. So, so did you go there as a punter? Yeah. First, before getting up, uh, getting up as a... I went there as a punter. I'd, um, Who was on the bill when you were going in those years? Um, on the first night I was there, I'd gone down there because um, I'd split up with a girlfriend and, you know, I was on a... You needed a laugh. Miserable. I needed a laugh. I, I, what I wanted to do was do something that I... I thought to myself, I'm going to do something that I wouldn't have done if if we were still together. And what I wouldn't have done is is go and do this. I'd always thought, I've got to go to the comedy school. You know, it's like we work in restaurants. You never go out in the evening. So this is the thing I'd always swore, I must do this, I must do this. This new scene was happening and I'm kind of, I've missed it. Um, so I took myself along on my own to the comedy store and... Um, yeah, the, on, there was uh, Paul Merton, uh, John Hegley, Jeremy Hardy was on. I mean, it hardcore. was hardcore. Yeah, real hardcore. But they were the they were the they were the gigging comics of the day, um, and I think Julian Clary might even have been on as well. So it was a good night. Um, How many times did you have to go before you finally said heard there was an open mic and decided to go for it? I did it the first night I went, <laughs> and I well, I, I literally I sat there. It was like my epiphany. I thought they've they've started without me. This whole scene is. I mean, this is what I'm meant to be doing. This is absolutely where I'm meant to be. Uh, I knew that without any doubt at all. And the compare said uh, it was a guy called Neil Malarkey. Oh well, you remember no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and who was also um, Mike Malarkey, Myers. Mike Myers' um, double partner. Yeah, um, yeah. When they're in London together. Yeah, lovely bloke actually. And um, anyway, he said it's open mic night tonight as well. And I had no idea what that meant. But there were a couple of people went to, he said, come and see me in the interval if you want to go up. And I said, okay, I'll do it, please. So I put, put, puts my name down, about one o'clock in the morning, you get to go on stage, kind of rehearsed What bit. material did you have in your head? I, none whatsoever. And I just thought, I'm going to wing it. When I get up there, I'll have an idea. It'll come to me. I know what I'll do. I, I will know what I'll do. What did you do? I referenced what, what the previous two people had done who had been booed off. <laughs> So, and so I, you picked on your colleague. Well, I instinctively saw. I, yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I kind of. I instinctively saw that they had made a big mistake of trying to do audience participation. Well, you you can't do that. You can't go into the audience where you're from if the audience aren't confident that you're going to be great. You know, you just can't. It's just embarrassing. It's awkward. People shrivel up, and and um, and they created that atmosphere of embarrassment around themselves. And by by saying, oh, you know, anyone here from North London, and no one's going to put their hand up, even though probably half them are, because they don't want to help out, they don't want to be involved, they don't want to be associated with it. Um, and then the next one did a, a similar mistake. And so I I went on and I said, anyone here from Iceland? And um, and no one said anything. So I, so then I said, well, that's my act buggered then. And I got a titter, you know. I walked on and said, oh, it's great to be here. It's really exciting. But I did it in that voice that no one thought I was excited or thought it was great. And that got a titter. A few things. I mean, I ran out of ideas very quickly and then I came off. But the owner of the comedy store was there and said, how long have you been doing this? And I, I said, honestly, I said, not very long, actually. And, um, and he said, well, well you know. 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to come back next week, I'll put you on for a couple of minutes at the end of the show if you want. And I thought, okay, thank you. Great, I will. And um, that was it. I knew I'd found what I'd been looking for all that time. That next week, you've actually got to come up with material. Well, you're quite right. And, th and so the next week, people say, wasn't it terrifying the first time? Actually, not that terrifying. But the, the second week, when I knew what, what was going to happen, 
That was terrifying. And I knew I had to come up with some stuff. That was terrifying. For some reason, they said, yeah, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep putting you on, we'll keep putting you on. And I, and I kept doing, you know, sometimes okay and sometimes really badly. And then, you know, and then another time enough to encourage me to keep going. I was talking to, I think it was, I think it was Nick Revel in the, in the dressing room at the, at the comedy store. And he said, which other clubs are you playing? And I said, what, what do you, what, are there what, other clubs? Are there's <laughs> more than, more comedy than this in London? Which may seem, I mean, it wasn't quite as daft as it sounds now to say that, but actually yeah. in the old days, you know, the, you know, the Time Out magazine, it was only a, it was a one page or a double page spread at most of what goes on in London. And I hadn't even kind of taken it upon myself to go that far in, in, in investigating. But he said, yeah, there are other clubs. Yeah, there are, Jack. Um, and he gave me a list of ones I might try. And so that was the beginning. That was the beginning. And then I started doing quite well. Here's another example of how stupid I am. Uh, I, was, I got to a point where I was doing really well on all the open spots, but I still was working in a bar in, um, off, off, off Oxford Street, in Binney Street, during the day, because I meant I had the evenings free. And so I'd do all these open spots. I'd go along and, and, and at night, and there's quite a lot of traveling involved. And they said, yeah, we love you. We, yeah, we, we, we'll give you a paid gig. We'll give you a paid gig. We, we'll, we'll be in touch. We can ring you. And I never heard anything, never heard anything. And then Jane is my, my wife, we, I don't think we were married by then, but she said, um, you, I said, oh, I'm, not, I'm not getting in. They, they never ring back. They're all, they're just pulling my leg. I'm going to give up, you know? And she says, um, do you think it might be that they don't know how to get in touch with you? You know, because before mobile phones, you're out of the flat all day because you're working. Why don't you invest in an answer phone? I said, really? Yeah, you know, they're an expensive thing to get. Anyway, she said, no, I think that might work. So we went and got an answer phone at Argos and I set it all up, went off to work, came back about 15 messages saying, we've been trying to get in touch with you. Can you come and do our club? You know, so that was a little, a little turnaround for me. So that was, it just, the naivety of it is it, I'm almost blushed to think of it, but yeah. One of the key things is uh, a great comedy agent, producer, Alison Cresswell, yeah. spots you and takes you on. No longer with us, sadly. Yeah. Explain how important Alison Cresswell was well, perhaps you know, still is in a way, and still is. I think, yeah, he was a he is an impresario and a and a, a manager. He was kind of considered by some to be kind of kingmaker in comedy for a brief period of time. For a period of time, but he ran a club called the Woolwich Tram Shed. Uh, he would get acts to come down so he could see new new incoming acts. And I got a gig there at the Woolwich Tram Shed, which is quite a big deal for me. It was a big gig. Uh, as long story short. He wanted, a, he wanted to represent me and, um, and that was an uh, incredibly important point for me in my career was to be taken on by a really good agent and a really good agency, i.e. off the curb, who then put me on to immediately, then I go on to the, the university circuit. So then I can give up the day job after two years of kind of moonlighting. Then I was doing all the student union bars, all the universities around the country and... Um, and I finally felt, having not gone into university, now I'm getting into all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Hi there, I'm Ollie. I'm the executive producer on Out to Lunch. And this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Imagine you had the time it takes to have lunch. Gifted to you each day, an extra hour. What would you do with that time? For me personally, after listening to Out to Lunch in a swanky new restaurant, I'd love to spend more time actually sampling the food there myself. Now, a lot of us wish we had more time, but in reality, if something is really important, then we make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. 
It can help you clear your head and take control of your life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Plus, it's entirely online to save those precious minutes. With over a 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash outtolunch. That's betterhelp.com slash outtolunch. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Live at the Apollo, you've done other stuff. Was it actually your idea? Mm. Because it's a bloody huge idea. Yeah, it was my idea because the first two series were called Jack D Live at the Apollo because it was I kind of did do that. And what what it was is that in um, around about must have been 2007 or something. But I I can remember thinking we don't have the big benchmark TV show that everyone aims to be on in 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 television and in stand up. And it was just at a time where there were lots of really great comedians coming through. And I was thinking, well, not, they're not all going to get their own TV show. How wrong I was, but you know, at the time that wasn't the case. And so I, I just put it to Addison. I said, look, why don't we have a show which is like a, a gala show with the best comedians out there all doing their 20 minutes with me hosting it. And, um, and it'll become, you. We, you know, this will become the show to be on uh, in television. And he, he immediately thought, that's a great idea. That, that, that I can see working. Um, and very, very quickly it got taken up as a... The first episode was mm, Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers, yeah. And you anchored the first two series and the first of the third... Yes. Before handing over. Before handing over to so Michael. The, the, the Michael McIntyre. Yeah, yeah. The thing that really struck me was just how much material you needed yeah. to do that. Were you writing all that yourself? This, or? this is the problem, you see. You, you, you know, I finished the first series, suddenly, that yeah, we want another series. Can you make it in six months' time? And I think, well... The first series comprised probably two years worth of material that I, you know, you craft in the clubs, da 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 da. And so um, you start to have to rewrite very, very quickly. And then to accelerate that process, you work with maybe one or two other writers who don't write for you, but you get together in the room. And uh, I always think, you know, I could, I could, I could develop a routine going around the clubs and it might take me three or four weeks to get it into something good. But if you're sitting around a table with two other writers and you know you can all, you're all talking the same language, within within an hour or two, you've got something fairly tight that you can then you develop. In, and, and but TV's hungry, isn't it? TV is voracious, you know. And it's a reason why a lot of those comedians from the 70s didn't really like doing a lot of television because they could see, well, if I do telly, that's my 20 minutes gone and I, I haven't got a career anymore because they're making their money by just... They make their living just going around doing the clubs and they do the same thing uh, again and again and again. And they think, well, if I tell like, the jokes on telly, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm toast. Yeah, authorship becomes a thing in, in, in the stand-up that we, uh, that we now do, this new world of stand-up. Hello, guys. And so to some extent you have to be, thank you. Like cheeks. Wow. That's cod cheeks with salt and pepper, I think. Yes. They look gorgeous. Uh, for your vegetables. 
So what's the vegetables there? It looks like it's squash. Spinach and four kinds of uh, pumpkin. Okay. Did you know there were four kinds of pumpkin? I, no, I wouldn't have known. I mean, they all look different, though, and pumpkins, when you pots, think about it. A big clay pot. You need to mix all together. Okay. If it's very hot, you need to use a napkin. Okay, yeah. thank you. Brilliant. Thank you very much. It's wonderful. You did break people's, you know, start people's careers. I'm a Jalili, I remember. Yeah. You can, in fact, hear, hear us discussing it on another episode of this, although yeah. he got a takeaway, and so did I, because it was during COVID. But you, it really did break it yeah. for him. Yeah. Do you remember watching that yeah. and thinking, oh, he's killing this? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, you know, I knew he would anyway because I've, 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 you know, really admired. He's such a, such a charismatic performer as well as funny. And, um, and yes, I can remember the night and, and it going exceptionally well. And it's a big, big room and the... You know, uh, it's what three thousand. Oh, it's three thousand. It's huge. It's I think it's at least it's probably the biggest in the country. Um, it may be the Playhouse in in uh, in Edinburgh is a bit bigger, um, but so it's, it's absolutely massive. And I um, and I could I can remember seeing him doing you know phenomenally well. In fact, my family came to that audit to that show, and and I can remember them all saying, "Wasn't Omid amazing? Isn't Omid amazing?" And I. Not, you know, to the point where you think... You're feeling slightly resentful. Yeah, 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 he was, he was good, yeah, yeah. You, uh, <laughs> do you like my bit? <laughs> well, that actually gave... I mean, I, I don't know how much... If you conceived the show, were you also a producer? Were you... I just say, look, these are the people I want to get on. These are these are. The, let's do well, this. Well, that's a big it. production decision. Yeah, it is. It's, it's quite a call. And so to get, like, Joan Rivers on was, was incredibly exciting. She came over for it. In fact... Ended up having tea with her at the Ritz because you know while we were talking about the show beforehand, and to meet a legend like that and work with them is 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 is, is incredible. And yeah, we had on that show it was you know a younger Jimmy Carr and uh, and our crispy duck. Thank you. Mm. All right, that's everything. Wow. Enjoy, guys. Thank you. I couldn't keep it up. I couldn't keep up. The... Was it a relief when you finally said, "I think I need to"? Well, it was a relief and and and. Um, and I, well, I just said, look, I can't, I can't live my life like this. I mean, to be on the on tour constantly trying to work out material just to make another series, it's not, you know, I, I just don't think it's feasible to ha to have a family and and just be away all the time and 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 and, and uh, you know, it's it's incredibly grueling to do that. Yeah. You know, I can tour like I'm tour. I'm just coming to the end of a tour now, but Jane and I always think, well. It's like a controlled explosion in our lives, the tour, you know. It's, it, we know it's coming, we know it's going to happen. It's pretty hellish when it happens because I'm just all over the place and I'm distracted and I get home as often as I can, but you, you need to watch out how much you do that. You've got to just sometimes you stay in a hotel and sleep, you know. Watching all your stuff back, I found myself thinking, there was a particular bit of material you did about the £5 toll on the bridge into Wales and no toll on the way out because <laughs> everybody wanted to leave. Could you still do that material now? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I I think that particular one I probably would have a go. Yeah, I would do that. Britain Cardiff. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That's the thing with these. This that kind of humour is that. Well, first of all, if I if I thought I better not do it in Cardiff, then I would think you should don't do it, do it anywhere. anywhere. Don't do it anywhere. If you haven't got the balls to do it in Cardiff, you know they know I'm an asshole. And they're laughing at what I've said, and that's 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 job done, really, isn't it? Well, you said it, it, you, if you're going to do a joke about an individual, yeah. you should only be willing to do it if they're in the room to if hear it. The, that's right, exactly the same principle. Touring, mm. but still doing the live thing, being on stage. I mean, you would 
Didn't you just do the Palladium? Yeah, um, I did it on Friday night. On Friday night. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. thing of being on stage, is that still a vital part for you? It's a real connection with something inside me that, that happens when I'm on stage that I can't, I often can't communicate with it when I'm not on stage. So it's something very, un, very interesting that happens for me. I think the lovely thing about, especially stand-up, is that you get such an immediate reaction to what you what you're doing obviously by the end of a tour you've 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 established what's working and what isn't but in the early days of a tour that's really almost the the most exciting bit of it because you think about it during the day you think of something funny on your way into work and then you try it out how how long a set did you do at the podium it was a two uh, it was a kind of two hour show basically i mean it was well uh yeah with, with an interval and obviously yeah yeah that's a lot yeah it's a lot of time on stage and you are conscious of, you know, having to keep the energy going and the, and, and the pace and everything so that it's uh, it works. But uh, and I and I cut I cut stuff out if it's not working. I don't care. I don't, I don't. I'm not trying to be on stage as long as possible. This is what are we talking? Thirty five years of technique. Yeah. Honed. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And um, and I, I yeah. That's uh, since eighty six. I started. One of the things you've talked about is uh, developing if not full-on alcoholism, quite a relationship with booze mm. in your early 20s. Yeah, yeah, I did. Was um, it kind of helpful that you'd sorted that by the time you got into comedy? Yeah, I, I mean, it probably was, because I, I wasn't drinking then at all. I just cut it out, I was so sort of wary of it. Because so the classic thing is, you come off stage mm. pumping with adrenaline. Yeah. One glass of wine doesn't even touch the sides. No, 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 you, you just drink and drink and drink, I imagine. Yeah, it, I'm sure it did help that I was, I was I had the focus of not being not being into that at all at the time. You must have seen people on the circuit who were not necessarily as controlled as that. Well, of course, and um, booze is probably only 10% of the problem. I think, you know, there's a, a lot of people who do too much, too much coke and weed and all that stuff goes on. And you can sort of, you see them over the years, you see it becoming a more and more of a thing for them and it slows them down or it makes them more kind of bitter and sad and... Have you ever got involved in trying to pull someone off it? No. Because it's their life to fuck up. No, exactly. (laughs) You know, it's less competition for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice and dark. Yeah. Um, Writing drama, things like Lead Balloon. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we should say what it is. It's, yes, it's a drama sitcom. Le Blue was a sit was a sitcom technically, so uh, um, people may wish to dispute that. But it was that was the idea. A drama with laughs. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I I was quite interested in that relationship between um, the comedian and the writer, and also the relationship between what you might write and then what you end up doing on stage and and the differences there and and so that was a kind of genesis of it the idea of the, the relationship this this comedian who was a was was a kind of a failed version of what i was trying to do as a as a stand-up i i like to think it's quite an accurate document of what was what what it was like to be a comedian in those days well actually it was the question because it's also very domestic mm. you know mm. your daughter's involved your wife yeah yeah were you raiding family material? Mm. Would something happen over the table and oh, then your wife sure. look at you a lot with that kind of, oh, Christ. There was a lot of that. And, and the, um, we, we, we did have um, uh, a Polish help in the house. Because you, you have our, a Polish help called Magda in our, the series. Yeah, that's right. We're, so so that, was a, that was an influence on me. And, um, and she was wonderfully dry. 
as a person. And so we created that character for the sitcom. And the point of my character is he's trumped by everyone around him. You know, he's a, you know, he's, He's, he's trumped by his wife because she's just smarter than him. And he's trumped by uh, um, Ben, his daughter's uh, boyfriend, because he's, he's more wacky than him. He's trumped by his daughter because she's kind of more, more cool. And he's trumped by Magda because she's basically funnier than him. And, and then certainly he's trumped by the writer guy, his, his, his Marty, his character. So he's just, he's, he's under attack on all, on all sides. And, um, and I think um, that, was, that, that was what I liked about writing that. You're about to do a documentary, or you've already recorded a documentary yeah. about Tony Hancock. Yeah. Have you already done it? We've made it, yeah. I've got to, I'm actually I'm doing the, the voiceover tomorrow, yeah, for the... Uh, the in so the what's, the, what's the deal with this? Well, it was a, it's um, uh, a documentary about the life and times of Tony Hancock. It's a two-hour thing. They uncovered all kinds of material, and, and so I've not, I'm yet to see it, I have to say, because I've, 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 I've done all the links. I, th I hope it'll be a treat for anyone who liked Tony Hancock and is interested in that. Um, and we had all the... You know, Were you a fan? Yeah, but, but I was, but I, I, I had to admit, only, only latterly, he wasn't... I, you know, I, um, I'm 61, so when I was a kid, Tony Hancock was still, was by then a kind of a, a memory yeah. rather than current. And so the comedians that I grew up knowing were, would have been a, a slightly later generation. But, 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 but retrospectively, I, I kind of went into Tony Hancock, I got into sort of Jack Benny and comedians like that, and everyone would say to me, oh, you must watch Tony Hancock. And so I, I got into that, but- Well, I, the, part of his thing was a gloomy take on life. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. you could see a, a golden mm, strand between- For sure, Your for sure. persona mm, on yeah, stage and yeah, his. Yeah, it, it is true, and, um, but I think, for grumpy comedians and, and influences for me, Les Dawson was probably more 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 the one that I kind of related to. But of course, I now see that I mean, his his stuff was there, and it was just it's sublime. You are in danger. I don't know whether it's a danger actually. Maybe it's a, a fabulous thing. The, the whole national treasure mm. you took over from Humphrey Littleton. Mm. Is it two thousand and nine? I think it was. Yeah, something like so that. So just yeah, yeah. a mere mm. thirteen years ago. Oh, God. On I'm sorry, I haven't yeah. a clue. Yeah. Is that a, as much of a joy as it looks? Yeah, it is. I have to say, it's, it's, it's been, it's great fun to do something that everyone involved in cares so much about. And that's not always I, the case when you do... My, my instinct actually is now to explain what I'm sorry I haven't a clue is. Yeah. We almost probably have to. You a should. radio for mm. panel show yeah. full of games, some of which make sense and some of which don't. It's... Um, Builders, the antidote to panel games, you know, and uh, Graham Garden, who devised it, wanted this kind of slightly anarchic thing of people doing very silly things. And Humph was always a great champion of that because I worked with him a few times, Humph, on the show um, when I was a guest. And he was, he, his thing he was freak, would frequently say is, you know, let's not, don't forget the silly. It's all about being the silly, you know. And But um, he delivered it, as mm, you do, absolutely dryly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It must be a very hard world for new guests to come into. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's um, it's it's a very unusual show to, to get into, and so it helps to be an improviser. It helps to be uh, able to sing or not at all able to sing, and 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 also you've got to sort of like the idea of doing it. There are a lot of comedians that we approach. Do you want to come on? And I think maybe they don't think it's cool enough, or it's not. You know, it's it's maybe for old people or something, and they might have a point but they don't want to do it. Um, but we are getting, you know, we're recruiting new people all the time now. Thank you. 
It's a, shall I read you the name of this again? Yeah, do, yeah. It's a numbing semifredo, so I'm assuming the numbing bit is Sichuan peppercorns. Uh huh. Right, with nice. salt lime syrup and a fried tapioca pudding, which is the little. That cake. looks very nice. It looks like a piece of ice cream with treacle on it, or, and then. On, well, we're not going to complain about that, are mm, we? No. Is there anything else coming up that we should discuss in detail, which I wouldn't have found out? The tour that I've been doing has been now going on since, well, I, the beginning was 2018. The longest tour in history. The longest tour in How history. How different is it, is the material you're doing oh, now from what it was at well, the beginning? Well, there was, I've gone through three prime ministers now, so, you know, that'll give you an idea. In fact, <clears throat> I previously um, was in, in, in the context of talking about climate change. I, I had a piece, a piece when I was talking about um, that I said when I was a kid, we were all scared of the Ice Age. That was what's going to happen. <laughs> And that my dad said, you don't want to worry about that because what you really want to worry about is the, is, is nuclear war, right? Because that was a, the other kind of subtext. That was a routine. I haven't, you know, I'm not, not performing it for you, but that was the kind of gist of the routine. And it got huge laughs because it was how people remembered it and thought it was a good idea. Well, now that's not funny anymore. You, you because, because, because we the fear of nuclear we're war. The edge of nuclear war. Is there. And, you know, and so a thing like that turns around and... You know, obviously there are bigger concerns than what's happened to Jack D's latest show because of what Putin's doing. But you know, for me personally, that was my trauma. Well, I'd like to thank you for sharing well, your trauma you. with me. In fact, I want to say, um, Jack, thank you very much for letting me take you out to lunch. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. It's been delicious. It has. Mm. Um, we have a little bit more ice cream in front of us. Mm. Just brilliant. A huge thank you to Jack D. And also to One's Tea Room on Greek Street in London, Soho. Uh, they fed us superbly. There are a few dates left of Jack's tour. Go to at the real Jack D on Twitter for more info. If you love this show, do please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And do share this with literally everyone you know strangers, friends, relatives, people you hate. Also, do comment. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. You know it makes sense. It does help us to make more of them. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged, and performed by me, Jay Rayner, and Robert Rickenberg. The recording engineer was Josh Gibbs, and the mix engineer was Jay Beale. Assistant producers are Anya Das and Bethany Hocken. Selena Ream is the producer, and the executive producer is Ollie Wilson. Next time, it's musician and rapper, Loyal Karner. I had no idea that you could eat food and write about it when I was at school. To be fair, neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> I fell into this. this I think, yeah. Never a plan. Fair. Never That's a fair. plan. Then I won't be as angry with you as I was. Before Were you? Were you livid? Yeah, it just felt like it was unfair, if I'm honest, because I you took my job. <laughs> <laughs>